Hey, everybody. Welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostra. We have a really interesting conversation for you today with Brown Harris Stevens, CEO, Best Friedman. That's a big real estate corporation. We will get to Best in just a second. But first, thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media, and we'll read some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe and to be notified every time we post a new episode. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Bess Friedman. She is CEO of Brown Harris Stevens, one of the largest privately held real estate companies in the United States. She draws upon her law background and passion for helping people to drive change within the company and the larger real estate industry. She's declared Juneteenth a company-wide holiday. She's made Election Day a paid day off. And she's partnered with the Human Rights Campaign in support of legislation protecting rights of the LGBTQ plus community. An advocate for social change, she is on the board of The Bridge, an organization focused on the needs of homeless and housing insecure, and an advocate for Sanctuary for Families. She also supports the mentorship program at YJP, Young Jewish Professionals, the Leadership Now Project, which is a corporate initiative to protect democracy, and the Khalif Browder Foundation. Before entering real estate, Best practiced law as an assistant state's attorney in Montgomery County, Maryland, and worked at Legal Aid as an attorney fighting for the rights of underserved youth in New York City. Bess, welcome into the back room. Thank you. Good morning. Nice to see you, Andy. I'm happy to be here with you. So you are someone I've really been looking forward to talking with because there's so many aspects of your life and career, and you've gone places that a lot of people, especially these days, don't have a lot of courage to go to. So I want to get into all of that, but I'm, I'd like to peel the onion back just a little bit, go back in time, talk about little Bess, what she was like. Were you this like little eight-year-old, I want to be, you know, I don't want to be an astronaut, I want to be a real estate agent? No, or... absolutely not. No. I can just tell you, I was a kid who, yeah, I was really lucky because great come from great stock. My mom and dad, the best in the world. Um, my mom's still here. And uh, you know, I, I wanted to be a lawyer. I went to see Bala Abzik, who you probably know who she is, mm-hmm. speak when I was nine at RPI. And I, you know, she inspired me because she said women belong in the house of representatives. And I thought, wow, women can do so much. So I said, I'm going to be a lawyer like Bella. That's what I wanted to do. And that's what I did. I practiced law as a prosecutor and a legal aid lawyer. And that's where my heart was. I never thought real estate, just so you know. And was your family liberal, progressive, middle of the road? What kind of politics did you grow up in? Yeah, my parents were super, like they were hippies, like super Mm -hmm. liberal, you know, Jewish um, kind. We always had people around our table at Thanksgiving. My dad picked up hitchhikers and brought them to the bus station or, you know, he was, they were always helping people. That's how they lived. They were like freedom fighters who gave and helped everybody all the time. And you know, they were just kind, good people. They were the perfect example for for children. And where did you grow up? I was in upstate. I grew up in Troy, New York, oh, okay. the toilet of America. Sorry to say, like people <laughs> won't be. But no, but it, Troy was great. I went to Hebrew school in Troy. I was a figure skater. I'd go to Freer Park and ice skate. I went to public school until sixth grade. I had a real. We had a really nice, simple, you know, loving environment. Uh, and, and it was a great growing up. And then we moved to Albany when I was 12 and I went to girls Academy, uh, until I was in high school, you know, throughout high school. And so, uh, but I have no complaints, an imperfect childhood, of course, but really loving and good parents. And I, I always say that love is something that we're taught. It's just, 
you don't just wake up and say, I understand, love, you learn it at home and in school and all those other places. Mm. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a small, when you're in New York City, as you know, you feel like you're like in the middle of the whole world. It's not, a wonderful it's not place. Troy. It's not, that's just like, mama, we ain't in Troy anymore. <laughs> yes. But I respect Troy. There's, you know, my dad is in my, all my relatives are buried in Troy. You are in a way still an upstater and your family is still an upstate family and you spend a lot of time upstate so it's still obviously in your blood and part of your life you know parts of upstate upstate. are cool you know they're beautiful i mean hudson rhinebeck i have a real connection with because my whole my family is there but there's a beauty there and the people and the town and just the hikes that you can go on and the things that you can do it's different you know because i'm in real estate a lot of my life is sometimes in the hamptons or we have offices there but it's a different vibe. Like in Rhinebeck, you're in ripped jeans and clogs. And, you know, it's just a different, I love it. I really, really love Rhinebeck I, and great restaurants. And it's a special place. You know, it's a really special spot. There's an amazing little candy store in, in Rhinebeck called Samuel's Sweet Shop. Um, allure, I shameless know plug. That. I love my shameless plugs. I just got a t- my brother on Sunday bought me a, one of your t-shirts. It's in, I should have worn it today. It's in blue and it says Rhinebeck. Mm-hmm. He goes there all the time. I mean, it's one of our faves. We yeah, love we, it. we're selling some really cool sweatshirts and tees. By the way, Andy, you also, the people that work behind the counter there, I, I love the kids that work there. There are a lot of them are college students. I talk to them. The nicest, sweetest, like you have a great group of people there. Good culture there as well. Yeah, they're, they're all great. Uh, we always have really good kids working there. And that's a testament to John Traver, our manager and partner. He does a great job hiring the, you know, we have high school kids, we have college kids, but you know, oftentimes they graduate high school, then they go off to college. So there's a, there's a bit of a revolving door, but um, it is, it is a great place. I call it the happiest place on earth. So glad, you, glad you like it. I love, I and, love it. Yeah. So cool. talk to me a little bit about the transition from law because uh, you were also a prosecutor. I was a prosecutor uh, in Montgomery County, Maryland, lived in D.C., prosecutor in Maryland. Great, like incredible experience, you know, having cases and being in court and all that stuff. And uh, I, I, you know, fell in love with my now ex-husband, who was, from, who was from Spain, and we moved to Spain. So I gave up that job. We lived in Spain. Um, and then we moved back to the States and started, you know, and, and I worked at legal aid here in New York city for a while, but then we started to have a family. And when I was on maternity leave, it was very hard to go back. You know, when you, you know, you have kids, there are these little things. And as for a mom in particular, because I think we really do a lot of the feeding and taking care of a lot of the time, I didn't want to go right back to work. I wanted to kind of be home with my daughter. So I was able to do that for a year. And real estate just came, one of my friends in my mom's knitting store here on the Upper East Side, she was like, you should get into real estate. You would be great at it. And that's sort of how I, you know, I was willing to try something new. So Mm -hmm. 20 plus years later, it's been an incredible um, journey for me. So you're in an industry which often has a lot of women, not just in the rank and file, but I guess most famously, Barbara Corcoran, people at the top. Why do you think real estate is sort of ahead of the curve with the rest of the corporate world when it comes to you women? Know, yeah, I, I think part of it, Andy, is because, uh, you know, we're able to 
real estate allows women to take care of the kids and the household and also work because you make your own hours. You know, it's not nine to five. You can work on weekends and it gives us a lot of flexibility. So a lot of you see a lot of women who are raising kids and also doing working in real estate and they can manage that schedule as the kids get into school versus sort of like a nine to five job or nine to six or whatever it is. That makes it a little harder. And you can if your kid has a play, you can be available for the play. And if you know you need if your child, you know, it gives you the flexibility that you need so that, you know, you can be a parent and work. Um, it's still hard, um, but I think it allows women that flexibility, which is why so many women get into real estate and are really like these warriors of what we do. Like you said, Barbara, who's a mentor to me and I love an incredible woman, you know, she did so much here in, in New York in particular. Mm -hmm. And when you started, you just went in cold as an, as an agent, just green, selling houses, green. apartments or renting nope. apartments. What, what were you doing? No, I mean, I... I just went in and they showed me the computer and I'm like, look, you know, you, it's up to you. Like you got to show up, you got to. So I learned the systems. I had some friends and I just was on time. And it's about emotional intelligence. If you've ever, you know, bought and sold anything, you're working with people who are making the biggest investment typically of their lives. They want to trust somebody. They want good advice, you know? And so I think if you can do that, be on time, be kind, be ethical, all those things, you shine. And so I did that and I couldn't believe how lucrative, how well you could do in this industry. And I loved it. And so it was this entrepreneurial beast that lived in me that I just didn't know I had. Mm. I knew I loved law. I loved being a voice for people who didn't have one. That was always who I was. My parents used to always say like, I always wanted to go out there and fight and help people, which I still do. Um, but the, the real estate thing was exciting to me because I have high EQ. I've always, that's my skill. I'm not good. You said the economics, all that other stuff. No, but I am really good at people and negotiating and listening to people and working with them. And that's why I was able to be successful mm -hmm. in it. So speaking of success, you are the CEO of this company. You're not a, a rank and file employee and nothing against rank and file. Nothing at all. This, describe your journey from rank and file to the, yes. co the corner office. Well, I so I worked at a real estate at Corcoran as an agent for uh, some years, five years, maybe six years, did very well. And they asked me to get into management, which I did with them. And I loved it. And then I got, you know, tapped to get, you know, recruited at Brown Harris, which I worked there and sort of rose through the ranks, just put my head down. And I've been there now uh, going on 11 years. And uh, I, I just did the job. It's like, you should do the job and then whatever title comes. And I kind of just did that. And, you know, we grew, we, we, we did a lot of great stuff there. We're still doing things there. And I never envisioned Andy, that this would be what I would be doing. Uh, but I love it. And uh, we have a great team. It's a team sport really. Mm -hmm. So just hard work and um, focusing on, it. I was in the right time at the right place and worked really hard. And they recognized that in the owner's um, asked me to be the CEO uh, six years ago. Mm -hmm. and, and I was, you know, it's it's been quite a journey. <laughs> How quickly did you go from day one into a senior management where you were on that track, where you had a sense that that corner office might be happening at some point? So uh, I would say, geez, I would say probably within... The first three years when I was at Brown Harris, like doing business development and working with everyone, um, started to see like some places that I could fill in. So I would say with after about five 
four years at BHS, it started to seem like that was where we were headed. It wasn't, you know, and it was, I had already had a few years at Corcoran in management, and then I was at BHS in management. And um, so probably a total of about five years of, of that before, like I got, you know, I, I became, they asked me to be the CEO. And so, uh, yeah, people say they're like, well, you were this, how did you end up at that? You know, it's, it's kind of like you just follow the path and right. do what you're supposed to do. And it's, you know, things are possible. Look, Donald Trump was the president and like a million people were like, well, he doesn't have experience. He'll never like things, you know, like, you know, so much is possible if you see it for yourself. You know, I'm not I'm not saying that was a good thing, by the way. I'm just saying it I was going to ask we you to clarify the position a little. <laughs> yes. you. I think, Andy, you and I both know I do not. Uh -huh. Yeah, that was a day that, you know, I mean, I think none of us expected it. That was a bubble that we were in at that point. I had some champagne in the fridge, like getting ready to celebrate the first female becoming president. And I voted for Hillary. A lot of people I know did. She was super qualified mm -hmm. for the job. However, you know, I think women are treated differently because she wasn't super warm. They want her to be strong and warm. And she didn't have those qualities like her husband did. Mm. And I think I bashed. But she was so qualified for that job. So the, mo incredible. the most qualified. I mean, I'm still with her. Uh, the most qualified candidate we've ever had. But and there was hate. There was hate. Like you would talk to people like that were common sense Democrats who just really hated her. And I was like, what? Why? Why do you hate her? What did she do that made you like hate her so much? Could and the never hate. Understand. And you know, the hate came a lot from women. I know, but why? I still don't understand that she was. I, you know, I spoke to. I have a friend who's very, very political. I remember at the time he said to me, he as an Upper West Side Jew, me as a downtown Jew, he said to me, "You have no idea how many Upper West Side Jewish women I talk to who hate Hillary Clinton." And that was the moment I realized we're fucked because. <laughs> what, what are they thinking in Oklahoma? If that's what they think up near Zabar's, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> we are screwed. It's like they never forgave her for that stand by your man thing. You know, they wanted her to be the feminist. They wanted her to like leave Bill and stand up for yourself. That so, was her choice. But of like, course it was. Business like a lot of women. And they're stand still together. You know, it's nobody's business. Who cares? Who, who is anybody to judge another person's religion? Maybe that's what she wanted. Like that to me makes it's it's ridiculous. Like I love these people who like to heckle from the cheap seats. Yeah. They don't know shit. They really don't. But that's what that's what went south in that election. She couldn't connect, and I think she couldn't connect with a lot of women and a lot of women in in, in the places where she needed to connect with them. Unfortunately, so getting back yeah. to your leadership. Speaking of leadership, yeah. as a woman, as a CEO. You've done some things that are really really unorthodox. I just want to read a few. So on the subject of abortion, you provide up to $4,000 in travel expense reimbursement if uh, an employee needs to travel to the nearest location where they can get a legal and safe abortion. You've recognized Juneteenth as a company holiday. You give a holiday for Election Day. You're very pro-LGBTQ as well as homelessness and housing and security issues. What, I, I mean, you've, you've described your upbringing and your family, and clearly you're a person who gives a shit you know, one might even say you're woke. I bet no. Right? You're woke, right? I, I mean, I don't, I, the way that woke is described I'm today. I'm joking, by the way. Oh, okay, phew. I no, was no, like, my uh, definition of woke is 
giving a shit about people, especially those less fortunate. Yes, yes, simple. that is. Very but simple. I don't. I think we that definition has changed. Yes, I think it's like something else today. Well, we have to take it back, like we have to take the flag back and patriotism back. But so, what what makes you take such an unorthodox stand corporately when so few others do that? I mean, you get, uh, yeah, as you can imagine, you know, like when, when the Gay Marriage Act passed, you know, we sent, I sent out, I have like these piles of memos I send out to the company, to agents, because I'm working with people. They're not widgets. You know, these are mm -hmm. human beings, feelings who have, who are, you know, go through all these things. And, you know, you, you do that, you say that because these are important moments. It's not political. It's like, the, you know, if same-sex people want to get married, that should be their right. And that's a wonderful, beautiful thing as a human being. And that shouldn't be a political statement. I don't, it's it's like the, a woman's right to choose. You have a right to choose. You're not forcing somebody to have an abortion. You're saying mm -hmm. you have that right. It is your body. These are things that I just, you know, um, I, I just think they're important to speak about. A lot of CEOs or people in positions of power would rather be quiet. And I understand that. And it doesn't come without criticism. Mm -hmm. I've gotten a lot of type, you know, type notes, anonymous, saying terrible things about whatever, you know, even the recent, you know, March and is for, I don't know if you were in DC mm -mm. Uh, on the 14th for the March, the support for Israel and to free the hostages and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, you know, most of the people feel good about those things, but some people criticize, they're like, you shouldn't take a position. I'm like, I'm taking a position against Jew hatred. That's all the position is. That is wrong. It shouldn't be a statement to say anti-Semitism is wrong. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have people ripping down posters. I hung more yesterday. It's fucked up. Mm -hmm. It is. It's unintelligible. Explain to me how that helps the Palestinian cause by ripping down posters. Can you explain that to me? If, if you are ripping down a hostage poster, yeah, you yeah. hate Jews. Period. End of story. That's the it, only it, explanation. I, the only there's explanation. There's nothing else to explain. There's nothing else that explains it because if you're this like sort of person that cares about people or you care about truth, you have to care about truth as it applies to everything. You can't pick what matters. You care about people, you have to care about, you can't say, well, these people are the only people. No, fuck that. You have to care about all people if you are a human being humanitarian, if you're claiming that. Um, but this, what we're seeing is, I don't think there's been a rise in anti-Semitism. I think what we're seeing is that this is how people have felt and they feel they are okay now to say, I don't like Jews. Gas the Jews. Hitler was right. They feel like they're empowered to do that. I have always felt free and comfortable. This is the first time in my life I've ever felt unsafe in New York City as a Jew. Mm -hmm. Ever. And you're wearing your, you're prominently showing your Star oh, of David. I, and I you're do. doing that. Did you wear that on October 6th? I've had this for years mm -hmm. and I used to, it would always be on. I just always had it on. And, you know, I put it on sometimes if I do like, you know, I do press a lot. And when I do it, you know, one day in particular, I had so many people write to me. Thank you for wearing the star. Thank you for wearing the star. I had a rabbi in Tribeca send me a mezuzah um, saying thank you. And I said, this is the moment we are in. Mm. Jews feel alone and you feel like people don't care about your pain. I feel like almost like you have a daughter. You have how many daughters? You have two? I have many. I have three daughters and a son. You have three daughters. So I have a daughter and a son, but I, it felt like after October 7th, like my daughter was like gang raped horribly and the whole world saw it. And then people were like, well, her skirt was too short exactly. and we need to mm -hmm. get, and now we should probably try to get out 
um, the rapist out of jail because, you know, he was just, you know, doing whatever. It's mm -hmm. like people are trying to do all this. Yeah, but no, no, it's wrong. If you can't call out October 7th as wrong and horrific, I know people have seen the videos of, of, of what they did. It's, it's wrong, it's horrific, but most importantly, unjustified. There's no, there's no justification. And the, the reason we know that is because every year in January, we celebrate the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. There's a reason why we celebrate him every year, and, and it's a holiday, because he changed history peacefully. But let's just say there's oppression. Right. Let's just say there's occupation. There's whatever pisses people off. That doesn't allow you to tie a mother and a child together and then set them on fire. And if you None believe that, that you are fucking broken, broken. You are broken. You, you're missing the plot of why we're here. And, and the thing that I think a lot of people, especially younger people, these students that are whatever, this is a jihadist mentality. These are people that value death. This, this is a guy who calls his mom and says, mom, mom, I killed 10 Jews, you know, and is celebrating <laughs> right. that. Imagine if I called my mom. You know, it's like we do not sell it. We cherish and we want to live longer. We're working out and taking care of ourselves. Most of us do. They have to understand it's a war of ideas. We're fighting jihadism and this idea of being a martyr and what that means. People are celebrating that. They're blowing up their children for this. This is what young people are not. They're not taking that in, I don't think. No, not only are they not taking it in, but they're sympathizing with Hamas. And now this Osama, Osama bin Laden. There's something wrong in this country when we, we've gone from Trump's whole craziness with Kim Jong-un's love letters and, and practically blowing Putin on stage at Helsinki and Hezbollah is is smart. Nick Fuentes at, with, at the White House for dinner with Kanye. All of that shit now has become yay Hamas and Osama bin Laden it was a great he was right he changed my whole perspective on everything what is next like hey next summer you should take this great new book to the beach it's called Mein Kampf right like what what is gonna happen next where is this going right I feel like we've we've some of us have collectively lost our minds that's what I said you know it's like when this first happened I was like wait a minute have we lost our fucking minds people are celebrating that people, that babies were you like in women and girls, my daughters, like I, when I saw that young girl, it was my daughter who's 21 now. She's at Berkeley in Boston. I, I think that's, my kid would have been at that concert. My kid, like, I think about them as my own children or my own relatives and not because they're fucking Jewish, because they're human, because they're human. And that should be what people care about. And you can say, of course, you want a two-state solution. And we want Palestinians to have a life. And, and what Israel's, Israel deserves a lot of criticism, 100%. Bibi, I mean, I saw a sign at the march that said, I'll trade you Bibi for, you know, all the hostages. Like, how about that? Like, a lot of people are just fed up. Mm -hmm. But um, we, we're, we're really in a weird spot today in this, in this country. Well, it's, it's it, to me, it's a failure of education. When you see what's happening at college campuses, it's not just the students, it's professors, it's deans. Apparently at Columbia, there's like a hundred professors who uh, are calling for the destruction of Israel. Like, it's gotten so crazy. But I think you're right about October 7th didn't start anti-Semitism. It was there. But just like all the crazy shit that's happened in the last eight or nine years, Trump didn't invent the MAGAs. They were always there. 
But they, ne- they right, never but gave a shit about politics because they would never stand online in the middle of Ohio in a rainstorm for four hours to see, you know, Jack Kemp give a speech about budget deficits. He's Jerry Springer for them. And he, he empowered people. He made people think, especially people who didn't have much, that he was going to help them. And it's funny because Chappelle talks about how he's in line and they're like, yeah, this Trump's going to help us, all these Southerners. And he's looking at him. He's like, you dumb fucks. He's going to help me, rich people. You you know, and that's kind of like the whole thing. It's like a smoke and mirrors thing that people were not paying attention to. He's an evil genius. I give him credit. I spent a lifetime in marketing years ago and he is an amazing marketer. He knows how to sell his product. Uh, he, he has a reason why he says, I love the uneducated. He knows exactly what to do. He's also a propagandist. He's, he's a liar. And he's convinced a lot of people of the exact opposite of reality, whether it's about him or what's being done to him. He, he's, right. a, he's a, you know, if Freud were alive today, he'd be like, that guy's pretty good with projection. He, <laughs> he's like my master pupil. Um, and so that's what's happening today with anti-Semitism. It was always there. You know, racism yeah. is always there. But in the last eight or nine years, it's like the KKK, instead of going out into the woods in the middle of the night with hoods and robes and burning crosses, now they're like in Congress. Now they're in the state houses of Tennessee. They're, there's no shame anymore to be the worst human being you can be. I mean, I bet you anything that like these Hamas guys just like they're like there in Gaza. High. They're probably like these who knew that we'd get all of Harvard on our side? We're winning. It's we nuts. We got Harvard. We got we got Stanford. Yeah. Like that's how crazy. Like this is the like we've lost all obedience and civility for each other. It's we got we need to work to get we need to get that back. We need some good politicians. We need some new leaders in education. People need to learn about free thinking in school, not be indoctrinated. You need to have some rigor in what you're mm-hmm. saying and facts. Um, we've lost a lot of that. If I could interview someone from Hamas, the first question would be, if you could live out your dream and come to the United States and kill every Jew, would you spare the Jews running around now, waving from the river to the sea posters? And when the answer is, I'd cut their heads off and burn them alive, I'd be like, we're done. This interview's over. That's all I needed it's, to know. Because that's, even that's, that. that's the truth. That's the truth. Or, These or Jews the who are sympathetic, like, they don't get, when I see a Jew ripping down they those don't. posters, it what drives me mad. Yeah. What about queers for Palestine? It's like, again, you're like, of course, like, you don't, but that doesn't exist there. They do not allow for that flexibility. Do you think you, do you think that in Palestine, they understand pronouns? Do you think they do? I'm guaranteed, I'll bet you 50 bucks they don't know what pronouns are in Palestine. Or if you do, nobody's saying, well, I'm a they. Right. I'm not he or a she. I guarantee you they're not. You don't have those choices there. You really don't. We have given people so many choices here. And, you know, it's sort of, it ran away with us. Like now people are just, they've lost their minds. They Mm. have no common sense. Sense is not common. I do not know what's going down, but it's not good. No, and it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. I do agree with you on BB. I think he's awful. I think his days are numbered. He's dead man walking, which is why he does what he does, because every decision he's making, I don't think is for the betterment of the Israeli people. I don't think it's to work towards a, a, a solution, a two-state solution. I think it's to keep him in office. He's very, of course, he's, he's very he's, Trumpian. He's a more educated 
better spoken Donald Trump. Trump exactly. Also corrupt. And he look, there were 40 weeks of protests in Israel about because of what he was doing, mm-hmm. you know, judiciary and all of that. I mean, he's a big part of the problem and he's a goner as soon as this war is over. But they got to get through the war and the U.S. should be demanding. And the biggest voice are the hostages need to be freed. There's Americans. I mean, why are we not being more aggressive in getting these hostages? These are innocent people being held captive. Mm -hmm. And it's like everybody's like, yep, I think I'll have the chicken. (laughs) Like, what? What are you doing? I don't know how people don't live in outrage. I wake up. It's probably too much. But I wake up. I've been very unhealthy the last month. I'll own it. I can't see, think. I feel uncomfortable all the time. I'm emotional. I'm Mm -hmm. depressed. I don't know what is going on. It's a sad. My daughter called me and I just started crying. She's like, what's wrong? I said, I feel like we're alone, that people don't understand how painful this is to watch. Mm -hmm. It hurts so much. Well, the world was silent in the 1940s and it's silent again. Like, Nobody ever came to rescue the Jews. Not even America. We turned boats away. So it's like Israel's got to do its thing and live with it. Good, bad, or indifferent. Because no one else gives a shit. And America, when we we hear people talking about, we give them aid and they should be thankful. We give Israel aid because it serves our purpose. Period. End of story. And that's also, the re- it's not because we America loves Jews in Congress, you know. No, of course it does, sir. But the, the the other point, Andy, is that if we would put more pressure on getting the hostages, and then you know get and then you could have potentially some sort of a ceasefire, so that you know. However, but you we have to put more pressure on the host and getting Hamas like gone. Like we need to yeah. pressure's all in the wrong. Everybody's like ceasefire. I'm like, how do you live side by side with? People have explicitly genocidal intentions against you. You cannot live with them. They have to go. They gots to go. Yeah, and I and I think they will, but it's going to be ugly, and that's the part about things getting worse and whatever. Jumping back to real estate, what's the market As, like in New York? <laughs> How's that for a segue? Back to a lighter topic. So, you know, look, it has been a more challenging year. You, you see what's going on with rates, which have gone way up. Uh, they were at eight. Now they've come down a bit. It looks like we won't enter a recession, but look, we have a real supply issue throughout the country, not in New York City, but in many parts, uh, Palm Beach, in Connecticut, in the Hamptons. Uh, so it's it's been a little strained as of late, but I think um, next year, hopefully, if rates do come down, we'll get more inventory and the market will be more fluid. Uh, but it wasn't a great year in real estate, that's for sure. It was a challenging year and we it's just been chaotic, you mm-hmm. know, and and people hearing a lot of bad economic news, despite the fact that the economy is doing well, you know, rates matter for people who are buying real estate. Right. Uh, and know, is it more of a buyer's market? I mean, the, the interest rates are certainly a key factor in, in perhaps the answer to this question. But has the temperature shifted so that if someone likes an apartment, they don't have to send a check in the next 30 minutes and there's going to be 50 other bids? It's definitely not a market where, you know, I think there's a lot of flexibility for buyers. They they can negotiate more now because of what's going on. Uh, but if you have an apartment that's a gem that hasn't been on the market in 30 years, you know, you, you will get a lot of people in line to buy. It's something special, always gets a lot of people interested. Uh, but I think buyers have much more leverage today than they did. And, uh, you know, sellers have to, you know, prices still need to come down a bit in many parts of the country. And mm-hmm. so it's going to take time to sort sort it out. But it's still a decent market. It's just not, 
you know, people are used to the, the chaos of the housing market. It's just slowed down a bit because of all those factors I mentioned. If you were to predict where interest rates are a year from now, what do you think? I think they're going to probably be around five and a half. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would guess that unless we have, you know, something crazy happens, which could, I think they'll probably get to that point. They're going to probably come down. And I think we'll hopefully, according to my economists, uh, we'll avoid a recession. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, inflation's coming down. So rates will come down. Um, spending has slowed. That was the last report. You know, the jobs report was, you know, slowed down. So that was good. So that all those point to the fact that we might be able to avoid a recession, which, you know, recession could be good for housing, but I guess for the rest of the country is not a good thing. It's not really good to be in a recession. So um, I think, you know, next year, hopefully we will be people, the agents are saying survive till 25 because they think 24 could be a tough year. Mm. And it might Who's to know, you know, we never look at what happened with the pandemic. You know, New York City was on lockdown and you couldn't even show apartments for three months. So it was a real and who knew, you know, right. It's like I always say history is the study of surprises. Like we just don't know what's going to be. Would five and a half percent be enough of a needle mover to get people back in the game? No, historically, even an eight percent is still historically low and reasonable. It's just that people are like, well, I was at 2%. Now, you know, so they're thinking, you know, you have, we have a short memory. Um, I think that five, five and a half would be, I think people would feel much more comfortable. That's what we did some sort of a, there was some study that my, that Greg, who's our economist talked about that people said they would go back in, they would buy if rates were around five and a half percent. So I think that even 6%, I think if we can get there, people would feel more comfortable. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree with that. And as someone who has contemplated moving to the Upper West Side, um, five and a half, five and a half. (laughs) Right. Well, that's, I'm an old Jew. I want to be with my people. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to go South. I don't want to go to Florida. Um, Barney Greengrass. Have you been to Barney's? Hell yeah. I would just, I would bounce between Barney Greengrass and Zabar's. That would be my life. And maybe I could find a barber in between. That would be perfection. <laughs> but um, so that would get five and a half would make me go, you know what? I'm not concerned about rates. I, I'm good because I think at four and a half now or something like that on my. That's on my why property. a lot of sellers don't want to sell because they've locked in like two and three right. percent. I think five and a half people could like swallow right. that. Pill. So, so let's let's talk about something which is pandemic related, remote working and what some people believe is a looming catastrophe with commercial real estate with offices that all of a sudden find themselves half occupied and they're sitting with these long-term leases, expensive leases. Do you agree that that's a crisis that's coming down the road? What is going to happen to all that real estate? I mean, people say, oh, it'll just become condos. Like, I don't know. That's not, I mean, I do, it is a crisis. Um, and I think it will be, continue to be. I think obviously certain buildings like the A, you know, A, we had there describes A, B, and C class. A buildings, which are like perfectly done and beautiful and modern, will be fine and do okay. Um, and it's not so easy to just convert an office building to residential. It's really challenging, even though the mayor's office has got this plan to try to do so where mm-hmm. it makes sense. But they're also, they're not built for what would work for residential. Right. So it, so who's going to take that on? The financial portion of that is just, too much. I hope, I think the private sector will step in and do some stuff um, to help out, but you're going to have some, it's going to be, it's going to be tough already because a lot of restaurants have closed because they're not, people aren't coming into the office as much. And if you don't have a great office to begin with, you're, you're in bad shape. You know, you're just, people are like, okay, well, I'm giving it up. 
You know, they're they're walking away from it. And I think we're going to see more of that, especially in the B and C class office building that hasn't been renovated in 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. But class A stuff that's gorgeous, there's oh, that demand is still really high. People are paying for it. They want high quality. They don't want to come into a place that's like a pile of dust and has like old everything. So that's I think that's what we're going to see a lot of um, challenge and crisis is in the C class and mm -hmm. B class. And I'm not an expert on real estate and real estate <clears throat> accounting and law. I mean, I'm learning from tr the Trump org <laughs> and all the tricks that they've pulled over the years. But it sounds like there's a lot of tax loopholes with real estate that might cushion the blow maybe for some of these commercial building owners. Do they just get to write off a ton of shit and pay no well, taxes? And I mean, it I mean, there are. There are incentives are incredible, as I understand it, you know, tax write-offs for certain groups and, and you can do things. You have to be very clever to do that. So maybe, uh, but I still think there's a bit of a crisis because also people borrowed it at like 2%. And when that's come due and now it's like double or triple, it's not affordable. It's, you know, you're going to, it's like the, what happened with WeWork with the bankruptcy, you know, it's mm -hmm. like things just, you can't pay these prices. It's just not sustainable. So I do think some people will be impacted and yes, there are clever loopholes uh, that people will use, but that's been the way forever. You know, people have always been able to, you know, be strategic with the tax code. Right. That's how our country, you know, it, that's how we work. And so people will do that as well uh, with real estate. And so I don't know how you're going to reform that. We have other challenges with real estate. Um, there's a 421A that we need to get extended to inspire. These are tax incentives for developers to build. We haven't, we're waiting on that. You know, there's this good cause eviction bill that would be a nightmare if that ever got passed. I mean, the legislature is so progressive and extreme, it's really could hurt the city. You know, people would leave and you need rich people, developers in the city, they help the economy. And this is something that the legislature just does AOC, tax the rich. She goes to the Met Ball. I, I, I have to think that her intentions are good, but it's just dumb. She doesn't understand what she's saying and doing when she does things, especially she's going to the Met Ball. You know, you're going to the Met Ball, like tax the rich. Yeah, it's that was really bad messaging on her part, for sure. But it speaks I to mean, the, you know, the bandwagon stuff that's going on it, to tie it back to Israel. It's just like some things are popular to do and say now, even though you have no idea what the hell you're talking about. And you can tweet it. And like in, in everybody's binary, it's oh, free Palestine or tax the rich or build the wall and tweet it out. And. Those are the extremes, you know, we know the, the the left and the right, but I do really think that many people are moderates. They're in the middle, a little mm -hmm. to the left, right? And most people feel good in the middle. That's where the compromise, that's everything for democracy. That's what, like leaders like Richie Torres, who I absolutely love and adore, is an incredible man um, and in the Bronx, and he, he is just a true leader in every sense, and he's a moderate, and we need more leaders like Richie, who's mm -hmm. incredible. Us. Yeah, he was actually supposed to talk with us this week, but it uh, had to get rescheduled. But he, You'll love having him on. Yeah. You'll love the story. My last question to you, and I'll, yes. I'll set it up with this. Lots of people have their quote-unquote guilty pleasures. My guilty pleasure is real estate TV shows. I love them. I watch them wow. all. My daughter and Which I ones? My daughter and I are obsessed with selling Sunset out in L.A. or selling the O.C. I watched uh, Million Dollar Listing, New York and L.A., um, but every time I watch those shows, I'm like, it, it's not like this in real life, is it? Andy, I mean, that's where real estate has 
uh, an image problem. They really do. I mean, could you imagine like going to meet with a bunch of people, like a business meeting and the women are coming in with their boobs out and, and their skirt and their makeup. And, you know, that is, you know, the selling sunset, which is just completely not reality. Um, it's like these over-sexualized Barbie dolls, which I'm sure are very smart. Um, but they're, it, it's, it's really not what we do. And I think it hurts our industry in a great way. I get that it's entertainment and you're smart. So you know that that's not how it works. Even that million dollar listing show, it was like people showed up, they looked, you know, they had fancy cars and they, and they showed them collecting these big checks. What real estate agents do, nobody would want to watch because it takes a lot. You're on the computer, you're making phone calls. It's not anything like what is portrayed. It, that is pure entertainment. Mm -hmm. And um, I get it. I've watched Selling Sunset with my daughter, too. And we we're like laughing our asses yeah, off. Yeah, right. Because... That's what me and my daughter do. You know, we're making yes, jokes. And that's entertainment. It's mm -hmm. entertainment. And I, as long as people know that's not what, you know, it makes us look unethical. It makes us look flaky. And like we care. You should care about the client's interest first and focus on that. And it, that that show is just it's trifling to me, but I get it. I get it. It also I'm makes quick. it look like the average real estate person is just having buckets of money enter their world every single day, and and that's not the way it is, is it? Yeah, the average agent makes. I mean, I think it's something like thirty thousand dollars a year, and many of these agents, I work with thousands of them, and I have friends that are in every company are feeding their families. They are working all really hard. These are solid human beings who are working really hard. And people think, oh, they're these cheesy people who just want to make money. No, they're hardworking professionals. And they, they're doing their best every day. Um, the seven days a week, you only get paid for results. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like if you hire somebody to clean your apartment and do a crappy job, you still have to pay them. In real estate, you only get paid for what you can actually deliver. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's it's uh, we need to really work on the image. I get I get selling Sunset. As, and I haven't seen the new season. Someone wrote to me about it. Um, I'll see maybe. I'll watch a little bit when my daughter gets home. The real reason I really ultimately like watching it is because I love seeing the homes, the value of the homes. I, I obsess on average dollars per square foot, like that kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, it really entertains me. And I've noticed, especially in the new season, like it just seems like there's less of that and more of the cat fighting. And, well, that's, and what, that's what, like the housewives, those shows that have those housewives on, it's like that's enter. If they just showed them like, you know, like smiling and petting their dog, nobody would watch it. They want to fighting and arguing and intense makeup with, you know, life is, as you know, when you raise kids, it's messy. Mm -hmm. It's a messy, it's dirty. It's, it's, it's a lot. And who has time to wake up and get hair and makeup and a stylist who would want that? So mm -hmm. it's pure entertainment and, and it's, it's something else. And so I'm glad that you see it for its entertainment value. Oh, alone. totally. Have you ever been approached to like be a, be in one of those shows? Yes. Yeah, I've asked, we've been asked, the firm has been asked, I've been asked to do something. It's not something we would do as a company. It's just not, mm -hmm. uh, it's not for us because we, we really respect our clients' privacy as much as we can, but also it's just portrays us in a bad light. I don't want to be a part of that. Um, what we do, if we were to portray it accurately, nobody would watch mm -hmm. because it, it's boring. You don't want to see me like, you know, them looking at floor plans or talking to people. It's it's a lot of hard work that people don't see or mm -hmm. understand. I'd, I'd actually watch, but that's you probably. Well, you would like the real estate. <laughs> but I'm a nerd. I'm a real estate nerd, so I, I'd watch. I like find that really property. interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see, pro I mean, looking at new properties is, is incredible. That is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I love seeing the new properties as well. It's exciting and fun, but it's, but these are like about the people and the fighting and who said what, and you did this and whatever. The LA ones are fun. I used to live in LA for a while and I, I love LA and I miss LA, but like if you're watching these shows in New York in January and stepping over black snow and a rat is running in front of you. And then all of a sudden you're seeing this gorgeous home in the Hollywood Hills with these amazing decks and the view of the, oh, you're like, I want to live there again. I want to go You're out like, there what again. What am I doing? Yeah, I'm, what, in I'm doing something wrong. What am I doing? So my, my absolute last question to you, yes. which is probably something you never really ask during interviews, we try to give people a window into the souls of our guests here, and one way to do that is through music. So tell yeah. me your top five musical artists of all time. This is, uh, well, U2 is a big part of my life. I absolutely, I love, I saw them at the Sphere. Um, mm. I just watched Paddle and Hum again recently. I love everything about them, always have. I'm a big, even though my brother gets annoyed, Pearl Jam fan. Love mm -hmm. Eddie Vedder, Pearl Jam. Um, I love, believe it or not, I love a lot of rap music. Mm -hmm. um, I um, was a, a big Kanye fan. Don't I still think he's an incredible artist, but I'm not going to put him in my top five. Um, he might be in your top five anti-Semites, though. He is in the top five anti-Semites, but there's where you divide the art um, yes. from the artist a yes. little bit. Right. Um, I love um, Celia Cruz, mm -hmm. who is a Cuban artist, passed away, but she's one of my favorites. You're not going to know the other one, Lola Flores, who's also, she's from Spain. I have all her albums. What are you talking about? No, I'm kidding. I knew you did. <laughs> And I love, because um, my brother loves him, and The Who, I love The Who. I love mm -hmm. rock and roll stuff. And um, you probably have not heard of Thin Lizzy, but they're also another band that I, I love. I've, seri uh, I've seriously heard of Thin Lizzy, yes. Okay, good. But I mean, I listen to very, if you were to see my playlist, I have very eclectic. My son has me listening to everything from J. Cole to Drake to you name it, like old mm -hmm. Eminem stuff. So, but music is a big part of my life too. Mm -hmm. I saw my morning jacket recently at the mm -hmm. Beacon, mm -hmm. which was, they were really, really good. I saw Goose. I don't know if you know them. They're like a jam well, band. You, you are way cooler than I am. Yeah. I don't know. Cooler, <laughs> but music is life to me. I love, and Mahjong is also life. I play Mahjong, which I love. Mm -hmm. So We'll end on that note. Bess, this has been a really fun conversation. You are a very dynamic multifaceted person and uh on behalf of a lot of people in the world who are less fortunate than some of us uh i thank you for all the work you're doing for social change and advocacy it's really important uh, a lot of people forget all that stuff thank you so much love talk you're a great interviewer thank, well, you. thank you you're, you're too kind take I'll care see you later bye-bye this episode of the back room was edited and produced by me andy ostroy it was co-edited and co-produced by maddie rosenberg and co-produced by jen hamoud our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander, and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wind. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast, and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and have a great week. Music